0: Musical,
1: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And to begin with, I want to thank our fellow saloners who either bought one of my books or made a direct donation to the salon. Your support is really heartwarming and greatly appreciated. And while I've written to the direct donors, I have no way of knowing who those wonderful seven people were who purchased one of my Kindle books on Amazon last month. But I feel your love and I thank you very much. Also, uh, I want to give a shout-out to my dear friends Ron and Claudia who have added so much to my life and my wife's life all these past years. Uh, Hey, you guys, we deeply appreciate all that you've done for us and all that you continue doing for us. Uh, you're the best. Now, about today's program, uh, I've been wanting to podcast this interview for several months now. When Bruce Damer first gave this interview for KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz, California, it was right at the height of the first phase of the Occupy movement, and I was afraid that it would get lost in all of the other news about the movement. As you'll hear in just a moment, Bruce is one of the people who has engaged with the movement in a very positive way and one that hopefully you'll find uh, of interest and a way for you to connect with as well. The interview itself took place on November 19th of last year, which was 2011 for those of you who are joining us from the future. Uh, And this was shortly after Bruce first published his paper that was titled, that is titled, By and for the 99%. A Visionary Blueprint for the Radical Remake of America, or any other country, or simply Radical Remake for short. To me, one of the fascinating parts of this interview is listening closely to the comments of the callers, and I have to give a lot of credit to Bruce here, because... My response to some of the callers, uh, well, they'd be uh, something to the effect that uh, I think they've now got more than one screw loose and that they're morons. (laughs) You can see I'm kind of a grumpy old man these days, huh? But then, uh, now that I'm an old guy, I get to be grumpy every once in a while. And uh, while I don't think that uh, many of the callers had their facts even close to correct, uh, nor was their logic very functional, what actually did impress me about them is that even in this very conservative uh, tea party loving radio audience they actually had more in common with the underlying thinking behind the Occupy movement than they uh, really had any clue about Uh, but that's just my impression Uh, now let's give it a listen and we'll see what you think
2: our country is in a turmoil and people are running around protesting but rarely having any suggestions for fixing our monumentally complex problems. It's becoming increasingly clear to many that we need a radical remake of our political system in order to preserve the greatest country in the world. Google Bruce Damer, D-A-M-E-R, and you will discover a most unusual and brilliant person who was recently featured on the Dr. Future program here on your favorite radio station. A serious thinker, world traveler, in engineer problem solver and all around good nice person Dr Damer will present his fascinating visionary blueprint for a radical remake of America this Saturday 10am to 12 noon right here on 1080 K S C O The reason we're using the uh, special music fanfare it is so unusual to have something positive on talk radio, it's so unusual these days. Everything in the news is negative. Everything on talk radio is bitching and moaning and no solutions. It's about time we had something positive uh, and some, um, and some uh, solutions to the uh, problems uh, offered here. Now, one thing we can all agree on, ladies and gentlemen, and you can all agree with me on this, I'm sure, is that there is something dreadfully wrong with our uh, uh, government, and our country, and our political system, and our world, and everything's all bleeped up. I mean, you can all agree with me on that, right? So um, <clears throat> it's a very, it's it's with a great honor that I, and pleasure that I introduce Dr. Bruce Damer. Hey, hey, Bruce, are you there? I'm here, MZ. Cool. You're there via Skype. You sound almost like you're here right here in the studio with me. Um, You were on earlier this. We've been on the station a number of times uh, with our mutual friends, Dr. and Mrs. Future, who I've got to say are just been very good friends for many years. Really, really special people. And they brought just a wonderful dimension of positivity to this radio station, including you. And, um, you know, I, I didn't get to hear the program as it went out, but when I heard about it, I said God, I wonder if Bruce would would consent to being on the Saturday special and 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 you did. So welcome aboard.
0: It's it's great to be here. Hopefully it's not the Saturday night
2: special. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyhow, uh, what what we're doing here is we're we're offering you're offering a, a solution to the to the problem. And did I did I state the problem okay or maybe you can state it a little more eloquently? Everything seems to be falling apart, I guess, is what you think.
0: Yeah, it does. And uh, this happens to countries. Uh, We've seen it happen to countries all over the world. We saw it happen to the Soviet Union. Uh, We saw it happen, uh, certainly in Eastern Europe. We saw it happen over generations. We've we've seen it happen in the the dictatorships of the Middle East. And countries get themselves screwed up. They get themselves tied in a knot. And often uh, there are many prescriptions to get this knot untied. Uh, And the United States, uh, I think it's clear to everyone on the left, the right, the center, every walk of life, uh, that uh, we have to undo a mess that's been created, a, a tangled mess, and we have to remake The system. Uh, There's no way to reform the system. We must redo it.
2: Well, you know, um, I I seize every opportunity I can to remind our audience that the reason that I that that I'm in this business of of talk radio here is because uh, back in in the late '80s. Uh, the the planning department of uh, uh, the city and county of Santa Cruz had such a, a horrible reputation, which really hasn't changed much uh, in terms of being an impossible, frustrating, you know, high blood pressure inducing agency to deal with. Anytime you wanted to do anything with your property, um, going to get a permit was like, you know, it was like an act of Congress almost. And it was because we started a group called Citizens for Planning Reform, CPR, and we did a talk show on this radio station, which was then a music station, except for that two hours once a week. Uh, It was on Monday nights where we did the Citizens for Planning Reform, or CPR, talk show. And it was mostly people, you know, complaining about the system and not too many suggestions about how to reform it. Even though that's what we called our, ourselves. You bring up a very interesting point right now. It's just don't even think about reforming it. Just just dismantle it and restart again. Now, how do you how do you do that in such a way where there isn't um, you know total chaos? I mean, there's got to if you're going to dismantle something, that means you're, there's going to be some period of time where there's no government at all. <laughs> so well, how do you deal with that? Well, in our radical remake blueprint document.
0: Uh, what we spell out, and, and this, I ask the listeners to to uh, kind of roll forward their clocks for a second and consider. And th- this is a very California thing: vision the possibility, i.e., look at what if the ideal circumstance had had come about in our country. However, it happens, uh, we're not sure right now. But what if there was a, a constitutional convention about to to open? Uh, All across the country, and where all the groups, all of the stakeholders in in the great nation, are about to to rebuild and re remake the country. What if this actually occurred? And then you can kind of work backwards from there, and you can say, okay, if and and we we Californians know, um, you know, perhaps everybody does by now that if you put out a powerful vision. Uh, the universe just lines up the stones and the pebbles and allows you to walk toward it. As long as you're pure in that vision and you really, you know, you really vision it and you really share it, uh, it's amazing how these things come up ha- come to pass. I'm sure that, in like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak in 1976 when they founded Apple, they had a powerful vision. They wrote about it. I've got a lot of the documents in my digibarn. Those guys just visioned where they thought Apple could go in the best possible, uh, the best possible way. And by golly, they, they got there. And so the, the radical remake, its first goal is to say, we're going to describe a future America that's being remade, being reconstructed. Uh, a lot of things have happened. A lot of things are happening. And say, hey, everybody, wouldn't this be great? Or let's let's shape this vision. And then I think you'll start to see the uh, the pathway toward that.
2: Now, who can argue with that? I sure can, and I I doubt that any one of our listeners can can do that. Although we will we will give them an opportunity to do so when we open the phone lines, uh, you know, later on in the program. Uh, you mentioned Digibarn. Uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna, uh, you know, you brought it up first, I was going to during the program. Uh, I have been, been to your Digibarn, which is, are we allowed to say exactly where it is, or, I mean, how do you tell it? We wanna hear about Some, the Digibarn. Somewhere up, in, somewhere up in the mountains. Okay. Somewhere up in the mountains, that's good. And that your Digibarn is, the, is the, the, uh, I think, uh, if not the, certainly a, world ranking museum of computer technology development and you've got you've got every kind of a computer there from uh you know from a cray to uh you know from from a from a cray supercomputer you know down to an altair and you know every everything in history and it's just the most amazing thing and and you decided to put this thing together a few years ago huh
0: Yeah, and, you know, mainly it was the passion for trying to understand how, you know, a a relatively at the time small group of people decided to make technology to remake the world, which which did. I mean, we are here connected through the computer because of a handful of people who built stuff in the 60s and then a bigger handful in the 70s and a bigger handful in the 80s. So in some sense, that background gave me... The belief and the evidence that, you know, with a small group initially, and the use of technology, and the use of positive thinking, and the use of investment, you can change the entire world. Because Silicon Valley and 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 its progeny have reinvented the world, and they are now the tools by which we will it really reinvent is. politics and the economy.
2: And it, it, it's absolutely true. And I, I'm keep being reminded about the the statement that Steve Jobs made to uh, John Scully when he was trying to get him to uh, um, be, come over to Apple from from Pepsi Corporation or PepsiCo. Do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugar water or do you want to change the world? Uh, and so yeah, you're absolutely right. So, uh, alright, w- where are we right now in terms of changing the world? You You have authored two or three drafts of a, um, of a of a document that that what you call the the, the radical remake of America document
0: yeah it um, it kind of it certainly was very inspired we were here in New Jersey at the moment and sort of surrounded by Occupy Wall Street events and we were my wife Galen and I were just so inspired by this bottom-up push this this push that turned into a shove on Thursday with the uh, New York City's finest uh, about Occupy Wall Street and, of course, all across America and the world. And I'm from Canada, and so I've been a lifetime observer of America, as most Canadians are. We're sort of armchair observers uh, looking south. And I've always wondered, you know, well, here's, I'll, I'll roll back my clock a bit. Yeah, MC. please. That'd be great. Uh, it, in the year 2000, so I immigrated in in 1985, but in the year 2000, I finally got, because the INS had lost my paperwork, I finally got to be sworn in as an American citizen, a very proud moment. And in the hall, there were a thousand of us in San Jose, and the federal judge came in. And he was an amazing guy, you know, just a beautiful. He said, I love this job. This job is, I love this part of my job. It's so creative. It's so you know, compared to what else I do in in my job, and then he told us something that was a pretty big shocker. He said, "You in your hand, you've been given a voter registration card. Now let me tell you, we do not have a democracy anymore at the national level. You as citizens uh, have no access, but we still have a functioning democracy at the local level. So please, fill out your card and and, and try to get involved." And it was like. This is what a federal judge is telling new citizens. Of course, after that, the 2000 election fiasco happened, and it was like, that was the first time I voted in this country. It was clear to me, we don't have, not only we don't have a functioning democracy, we don't even seem to have a functioning a Supreme Court. We don't have uh, a functioning electoral system. It was just all broken. It was clear it was broken.
2: And that was almost 12 years ago, yeah.
0: Yeah, and... So then in the last 12 years, I've been thinking, well, has America really ever had a full democracy that you might find in the sort of Democracy 2.0 countries, the the countries that got democracy in the 19th or 20th century? And I kind of concluded it never has had a full democracy. And what I mean by that is there's always been a major chunk of society that's been disenfranchised, whether in the beginning it was women, people of color, people who didn't own land. Uh and now today it's um everyone is disenfranchised by special interest lobbying and money. So we we've never had a taste of full representative democracy with multiple parties, with flexibility, with a voice, with you know people that
2: aren't rich. I I'm, I'm dying to know your answer to the following question. What country has had such an exposure and does well, if there is such a thing?
0: Well, interestingly enough, you know, me being a Canadian, I'm a little, I'm a little jaundiced about Canadian politics. But frankly, you know, Canada almost broke up twice. Uh, we had a separatist movement in Quebec, and we've had many challenges to our confederation. Um, and it was always through public votes that the people in Quebec basically said, "No, we don't want to separate." And so, no matter what the the people really spoke. And we've got four or five federal parties. We've got, you know, no special interest money in politics. And it never really occurred to me that Canadian politics was something special. I, But then I and I moved to the United States, and I sort of thought, hmm, it's different here. Um, I then moved to Czechoslovakia, which was converting from communism and reestablishing an elected, you know, a democratic system. And I watched how that country did it. Uh, And they had 50 parties in in the first poll. It was really a a wonderful chaos as they reestablished public interest in in their governance. And then I was in South Africa right after the the fall of apartheid and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where they basically people who had committed crimes in the previous regime came up and admitted their crimes for immunity. And that's how they karmically cleaned... The society as it became a, a democratic society. So, all over the world, there's different formulas, uh, but uh, the representation that people are able to affect in many other countries is direct is, is certainly much more uh, much more convincing than it is here.
2: Right. Oh my gosh, we're talking with uh, Bruce Damer. Uh, who is a world traveler, uh, ent- how would you describe yourself in, in like a paragraph? I'm kind of an
0: architect. Uh, I've architected software systems for a long time. I've architected scenarios for NASA to, you know, visit asteroids and designed architectures for origin of life research. And this latest blueprint is just kind of a, an architecture exercise.
2: All right. Well, well, I'm I'm looking at the uh, draft, uh, uh, completed November fourteenth, which was just a few days ago. Uh, I'm going to read just a couple sentences to it, and and I've already um, emailed uh, Jaunty, our our webmaster, and asked him to uh, post this on ksco.com in a prominent spot. It Probably won't be on the home page, but what will be on the home page. Is a, uh, is a prominent uh, um, you know, banner where you click on it, and it will take you to this document that you can read or download. Uh, by and for the 99%, a visionary blueprint for a radical remake of America or any country. Um, this happens to be draft 3C. Where do the Occupy and other progressive movements go from here? The grievances and the villains have been clearly identified, the philosophy and the operational principles established, and there is a sense of optimism in the air that change is possible. Uh, I respectfully ask you to roll forward your clock to a day not too far in the future when by some set of amazing and unforeseen events the ideal outcome has arrived. Hold this thought for a moment. So what would this ideal world look like? Anything you can imagine. So let's put it all together. To get us started, I've pinned a modest blueprint for a radical remake below. Why do this kind of exercise, you might ask? Having a vision for the best possible outcome is essential as it gives you a point in space to aim at. And we have all experienced that when a shared, clear vision is held and actively pursued, the universe always seems to provide all of the steps to reach it. Now, I'm not going to read the whole document. If I did, it wouldn't take but maybe I don't know, 5 or 10 minutes or so. It's not a it's not a difficult read. Uh, if it was, uh, you, I wouldn't be so fascinated by it because I'm one of the world's slowest readers and comprehenders. But it's not a bad it's 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 a, it's not a particularly long document. It's very understandable in plain English. So, um You know, be looking at ksco.com. It should be up hopefully today unless our guy is, you know, in communicado all weekend or something. Uh, If you want, you can send me an email, mz at ksco.com, and I'll uh, shoot you a a, a response. Um, And we're talking with the author of that document, Bruce Damer, who is our guest on the Saturday special today, right here on your favorite radio station. Now, let, let's get into some specifics about what what you recommend that we at least consider, you know, in your document. What really jumped out at me is the the whole idea of um, uh, it, it's uh, lobby lobbyists and special interest groups have sort of taken control of everything. I mean, uh, any any group that's that, that's uh, powerful enough or or rich enough to be able to afford lobbyists to wine and dine the lawmakers and, you know, influence them, chances are going to get their way to the detriment of more people than not. (laughs) And that's probably the number one thing that's wrong with our system. Would you say, Bruce?
0: Yeah, and uh, literally the first part of the blueprint Envisions the day when the Constitutional Convention opens. And I know uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, from their high school history of America, read about the amazing process by which the, fond- the framers and the founding fathers put together the United States. And they actually had two conventions. But the intelligence and the leadership and the debate that went on, it was. Absolutely breathtaking how that was done. So can you imagine a 21st century constitutional convention? Now, what would have happened? What will happen at that convention? Because it will both be online and in physical locations everywhere. So people can show up. They can get to it. The first vote, and it would be a direct citizen vote through the net, and through polling stations connected to the net, would be to basically outlaw the practices of lobbying. And right on the spot by direct citizen vote. And that would cut the umbilical cord between moneyed interest and the body politic. That would be number one. And by the way, prior to the convention opening, this may be weeks prior or months prior, all sitting politicians uh, down to a certain level will have resigned their posts. Now, I don't tell you how this would happen, but can you imagine would have, would have agreed and have left their posts and left the government. See,
2: it's, it's a different world. It's not the same situation now than than when the country, you know, began. When the country began, you know, we were breaking away from Great Britain, and it was we were starting with a clean slate. I mean, there was nothing. Now there is something, and quite a something, you know, that needs to be, you know, change. change and I agree with you; it needs to be abandoned, but. I'm not quite sure. You know, there's got to be. If it's abandoned, you're talking about people resigning. I mean, who's going to yep. do that? Who's well, <laughs> they, uh, who's going <laughs> to give up that lifestyle? The, the the people who are elected to anything, whether it's city council right on up to the presidency of the United States, and all they care about is being elected, and all they care about once they are elected is keeping st- is, is staying in office, and it dominates their life. And the reason it dominates their life is because there are unbelievable perks to be had forever. So how is anybody going to give that up? Well,
0: it's, there are many models to do this. Uh, but the main model is a large citizen group that not only goes across ordinary folks like you and me, but into the moneyed interests that support this goal, legal Expertise, you know, top rate lawyers, uh, business enterprises, media outlets, religious groups that have formed together into a a large conglomerate. You might call them the new 13 colonies. And they are just uh, they're so they're united and they persist. And what they do is a number of things from lawsuits to blockading offices to blockading uh, entire government agencies to funding uh, various enterprises? If it's 10 million of us, is that enough? But this kind of force and this kind of pressure over time can absolutely whittle down the system and whittle it down and burn it down and burn it down.
2: Oh, wait a minute. Isn't, isn't that what the Occupy movement is is trying to achieve right now? And as, as it becomes more... Um as, as as it's more and more in the news, the the authorities are clamping down more and more, right? Isn't that what's happening?
0: But behind the scenes, so the occupy movement's like the tip of an iceberg, but underneath the water is you know ninety five percent of the volume of the discontent and the volume of the powerful organizing. So for example. What's been happening in the last week is a new sort of super organization called UnitedRepublic.org has come together. And what that's doing, it, it not only pulls in the goals of Occupy, but it pulls in a large amount of financing, sent the best legal minds on this subject in, in the country, business leaders, uh, uh, former you know, disgruntled and, and dismayed politicians who've tried to make changes. Even former lobbyists, people who know the system, military people, people who really know the system, they're of the system, they're uniting now. And so in some sense, you think of the the, the the catapult of Occupy through the first volley, but there's a whole machine that is able to throw another and another and another. And I think UnitedRepublic.org is one of those uh, emergent phenomena that, you know, it uses the net, It involves the Tea Party. It involves people on the left, the right, the middle. Uh, it's extremely inclusive, but it has it has uh, staying power and force where it's going to count, which is at the institutional level.
2: Well, I like the sound of that. Now, you're calling from somewhere close to New York City. You're in the state of New Jersey now. Yes.
0: Yes, indeed. Yep.
2: Okay. And do you have a, a home there, or you and your wife? Um,
0: where you- we do. Uh, it's a little kind of like a summer cottage, ancient place, really funky, almost like it would have been from Santa Cruz, but plunked on a lake here in New Jersey.
2: Oh, my gosh. And, and how far is it? If you were to ring off right now and head straight, make a beeline for the site of Occupy Wall Street, you know, the actual site... How long would it take you for you to be there?
0: We could be there in an hour, actually.
2: And, ha- and have you gone there? I mean, are, are you what you would call a participant in the Occupy Wall Street movement? We
0: actually haven't, uh, and we were, we've were we been trying to get in. And, yes, Thursday we watched all of the activities and decided that for a baby boomer <laughs> types like us, it looked a little, a little bit uh, challenging. So we're hoping to go uh, down, in fact, have... This radio program and this effort on Radical Remake is what I've been focusing all my energy on. We have two wonderful volunteers that are also working on this, one of them from Occupy Santa Cruz. And I'm hoping that if this can get some traction, and it's starting to, that I can go down to Occupy. And, and maybe get, some,
2: get the, some time and be able to get up and make a talk.
0: Or yeah, something. we can use the human... Uh, the human megaphone. So it's uh, not has,
2: as if you're too old for that sort of thing, you know. Being a baby boomer, I mean, you know, it's sort of a hassle to go over there, and it's just that they, they wouldn't they wouldn't give you enough time or any time to get up and talk there, is that?
0: Well, we kind of we the, the goals this week. Uh, literally, the goal this week was the confrontation, and then the counter confrontation, and that's you know that's stuff for experienced people. You know, if you look at those helicopter views from Thursday, it's like, whoa. Uh, so the the time for discussion of of uh, possibilities forward, I think, is now dawning because the message has, has gotten across. Okay.
2: So well, that we're talking with Bruce Damer. We want to talk with you. As promised, our first caller will be uh, Paul and Carmel. Uh, Paul, you're on the air with uh, MZN uh, Bruce Damer.
3: Good morning, gentlemen. As uh, usual, you always have a stimulating uh, conversation to start off the morning with and get it. Pulled. I
2: cheated. I, I borrowed it from the futures, <laughs> you know. But and I give them full credit for for Bruce, you know. And I'm just sort of riding on their coattails here. So.
4: I have a question
3: for Bruce because you know I like his concept. Um, of course, you know a conventional constitution is a very dangerous thing, especially when you don't have the kind of Deep thinkers that our forefathers were. They came from an oppression. They were driven. They, uh, lived it. They had this experience. They knew what they did not want. Uh, they believed in individual sovereign rights. And they knew that that was going to be the basis of this new found, uh, world experiment. The problem is, is, is that the, my, my getting to the question for Bruce is, one of the things that our forefathers did not do is, is that when they looked at business as far as corporations, they had no intention of having businesses be sovereign entities. And I believe that that's what we need to kind of get back to is, is that when you have a business and you're a single proprietorship, yes, you should have constitutional rights because you are taking all the risk. It is your business. It's something that you gave life to. But when we fail, I think we failed when we gave corporations who are no longer a single uh, sovereign person, corporate rights of of constitutional rights. And I think that's really a big issue because corporates, who do you answer to? Who's the individual? Who's the sovereign citizen that is actually being affected? In corporations, there is no entity. It's a board. They're individuals. They're protected from their own personal loss, unlike a single proprietor where, you know, if he loses his business, it's his house that's on the line. It's his livelihood that's on the line. Um, and I think we kind of failed when we gave corporations that citizenship of uh, of constitutionality.
2: Hmm. What do you think, Bruce?
0: You, <clears throat> Paul is absolutely right on the mark. And, in fact, Larry Lessig, uh, who's a, a just a tremendous legal mind and uh, fighter, he's... He's been called the closest thing to a framer or a founding father of a new republic as as anyone in the land. And his book, Republic Lost, How Money Corrupts Congress and a Plan to Stop It, has just come out. And he's touring the country. And if, if your caller will allow me, I'd like to read a, a quotation from there that, that's relevant to his thought. Sure. And that is... Um, this is from Adam Smith, who, as you know, is the founding father of modern free market uh, econ- economics uh, from the time of, of the founding of the nation. And he wrote that people of the same trade, and this is in, you're talking 18th, 19th century language here, people of the same trade seldom meet each other, even for merriment and diversion. But the conversation ends in a conspiracy against the public or in some contrivance to raise prices. So this was the thinking uh, that was very much going on uh at the time of the founding of the republic and one thing to point out that your callers um, may not know that Jefferson one of the great framers uh of the of the founding document uh when he left his presidency uh he wrote a letter that said I tried and I couldn't uh, at the time I wanted a constitutional convention to be held regularly uh between uh, generations so that we could constantly allow the people to directly update and the document and protect us uh, and all of the founding fathers were cognizant of the power of of merchants and the self-interest because in fact they were all self-interested merchants who, who gave up that self-interest temporarily to come together for a greater benefit so One thing Larry Lessig calls for is the rollback of those two terrible Supreme Court decisions, and that's actually in the Occupy.
2: Now, who can Uh, argue with that? I can't. Hello? Yes, Paul? I'm still here. When I said, who can argue with that? I can't, there was a pregnant silence that just went on and on and on, and I don't know why.
3: Uh, but see, the other thing too is is that uh, what I'd like to argue is the fact that corporations aren't aren't don't have that uh, citizenship sovereignty, and that that's kind of where I'm coming from.
2: Or they or they shouldn't have it anyhow, right? They've sort of been granted it. Is 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 what's bothering you, right?
3: Well, yeah, because what happens is is that when they have a right to control themselves, and and then if you try and do a regress as a as an individual. Who do you regress to? You regress to a a corporate board. You know, there's not an individual anymore.
0: Right. And, you know, this calls, uh, we have our Supreme Court justices who presumably read American history and they've read a lot of the commentaries at the time of the founding of the republic. How could they possibly pass laws that they do now, or rules? How could they make rulings that they do now with the clearly expressed warnings of the founding fathers and the framers, it just boggles the mind. And it and it really ask you ask the question: Is this even a functional Supreme Court? Uh, obviously, in the year 2000, it wasn't. It failed the people. Uh, we may have to look at a radical remake
2: there. Well, now wait a minute. Wait, wait, just a minute. Wasn't it the Supreme Court that decided, you know, the outcome of the 2000 presidential election?
0: they basically threw it back to the state uh, just before the deadline and it kind of fell apart they, the one one supreme court justice uh, at the time i remember his comment it was a written comment in the decision which was never have so few disenfranchised so many well i think the other argument
3: too is, is that you know our our forefathers they had their and and they believed in a certain amount of uh, uh, status and in, in, in that they had a basic understanding of what a gentleman's agreement is. Yeah. You know, we selected officials and we have judicial officials and we have, you know, our representatives who take this oath to, quote, unquote, defend the Constitution of, of, of the United States. And, you know, some of them have never read it. They don't, you know, those are just words that they're swearing an oath to. I mean, I thought it kind of unusual that, when Boehner you know, actually read the Constitution in the House of the Representatives for the very first time, that that was really, I mean, I was shocked at, at the idea that here we have a bunch of elected officials reading the Constitution for the very first time, and they've been spouting on as if they knew anything about it.
2: Yeah, it's pretty but, outrageous. Hey, Paul, know, thanks, thanks for your call on Saturday special. We've got quite a number of other people here. Uh, we want to get to Ace and Live Oak, Jack and Selena's, Jimmy and Scotts Valley. We're talking with Dr. Bruce Damer about the notion of uh, of of uh, having a, a constitutional convention. In fact, having multiple constitutional conventions. Am I am I right, Bruce? I mean, the, the place needs to be re rebuilt altogether, doesn't it? The whole country. It
0: it does. And you know, we see the stresses on the system as. You know our good friends over in the Tea Party. You know they had a powerful movement and a very clear message. And what happened to them? Of course, they were successful. They penetrated inside the Beltway and the amoeba of the Beltway. But then what happens? The 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 dark bubble descends, and all those people who are inside the Beltway. And, and if you've been to Washington, you've been involved in, as I have, in in, in activities in Washington. There's a reality bubble that is, descends upon you. And then you realize i i don 't know where I came from i 'm now part of the organism, and I must raise money, must raise money and and you get gobbled up so it's uh,
2: I mean sort of everybody 's like that that 's just what I did when I told people that they should buy k 's book because uh, we, we do we do need to raise money to keep kSEO everybody needs to raise money to keep everything going i mean that's that 's the economic reality of life. But not Uh, the kind of money that the uh, politician
0: must raise and the kind of... Well, that is true. Uh, Yeah.
2: And or two. Incredible. Uh, By the way, um, um, Ellie Kramer has written a a sort of nasty email here. I, I, I I probably shouldn't read it because of its nastiness. But I'm going to read it because it does bring up a point that I was going to uh, bring up. And we keep talking about this being a democracy, and I always thought it was a, a representative uh, democracy, you know, representative government. Uh, MZ, if I were the judge that granted your guests U.S. citizenship, I would ask for it back. It appears like other lefties of his ilk. He judges the health of the Supreme Court by how it decides a case to his favor or not. He thinks this is a democracy. What about the democratic republic that it actually is? Learn about what you discuss before you open your mouth. And that's from Ellie Kramer, who used to be a talk host on this station. Ellie, you should call and engage a discussion here with uh, with Bruce. It would be very interesting. Anyhow, Bruce, what do you think? I'd love to talk to Ellie. You know, I hear
0: the anger in his voice, and I think uh, the frustration that he has and there's some energy there. And obviously, if he's a talk show host, he's got something to contribute. And, and this Radical Remake site that we've launched at RadicalRemake.wikispaces.com is for input, for him to put his words in, for him to put his opinion in, for him to to be heard. Uh, this is not just about Bruce Damer. I'm, I'm hoping just to seed this. I want to encourage 10,000 drafters.
2: There, there, Ellie Kramer. Now, don't you feel terrible that you were so nasty to, to uh, our guest and he's so kind and gentle back to you? Anyhow, here's uh, our next caller, Asa, in Live Oak. You're on the air on KSCO, Asa.
5: Hi, well, I'm outclassed by all your callers. However, I'm more ancient than all your callers, so I, I, I presume the, the right of age to say a word or two. And my from my standpoint... I love our Constitution the way it is. I love our people the way they are. I love our mess the way it is. And I am frightened that there are people that want to change it into something that is much more rigid and gives me much less freedom and will not tolerate the fact that I've grown old. They want, you know.
2: I, I you know, Bruce, wait a second. Wait, Asa, just a second. We'll let you talk. But, Bruce. I, I think you need to make it clear to people that you don't want to, uh, d- dis, 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 to kill the, the, the Constitution. Just want to sort of update it. Am I right?
0: Yeah, we want to propose, we want to be true to what Jefferson wanted, which is Jefferson wanted a convention to be held, uh, you know, regularly so that the citizenry and, and the whole member society could say, Gee, we need to add this. We love this document and we, we preserve it. It's precious, but we need to add this amendment, but the amendments would, would come directly from the needs of the day. We need to add this. We need to do that. We kind of do it in a haphazard way, uh, right now, but it's, it's really about that so that, you know, as Izzy, if you could, if you had an idea, you could put it in. And if enough other people thought it was, it held water. By God, it might be something that was added to to the fundamental document.
2: Oh my God, we have less than a minute for the, the news. But go ahead, get, yeah, go ahead. Amy. The
5: ideas of freedom and individual liberty are precious, and they are not to be lost by people's little ideas of George Soros and his ilk that helped finance this whole thing. I really want our freedom and liberty and personal personal liberty and freedom to be. Preserved, and I don't see how any great mass of people who are poorly educated because our educational system has been so bad creating a document that is in the, any way superior.
2: Asa, do the you document. want us to hold you over? We got the news in 10 seconds.
5: No, I have. I'm uh, not all right. That. I'm, well, thank I, you for I, calling I,
2: I, the Saturday I, I, special. It's KSEO Santa Cruz Salinas, Monterey, San Jose. Back in exactly. six minutes. <laughs> Our special guest is, uh, is Dr. Bruce Damer, who has written an amazing uh, treatise, an amazing uh, draft of a uh, radical remake of America. Uh, Bruce is uh, here uh, via Skype. He's actually in New Jersey. Yes, Bruce? Yes, indeedy. Okay. And we've, got, we've invited callers to 479 1080 and emailers to mz at ksco.com. Uh, we're going to go back to the phones now and uh, sort of zoom through this, if possible, here. We're going to go to line three, and that's uh, none other than Jack in Salinas. Hey, Jack, welcome to KSCO. You're on.
6: Hello, Michael. Hi, Bruce. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, point out that you don't have to look all the way to Washington, D.C. to see how the voters have been disenfranchised by the current government. You can see it right here in the state, California state government. Uh, I'm thinking uh, Proposition 187 uh, and, more, more recently, Proposition 8. And I'm sure, Michael, you can think of uh, 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 many cases where individuals have been disenfranchised and, and not given a voice right there in Santa Cruz County uh, by the uh, city council or the uh, county government. Uh,
2: I'm not uh, concerned about them. I'm, they're, they, they're all given a voice on KSCO if they choose to use it.
6: Right, but I'm just saying that that you don't have to look all the way to Washington D.C. to see how oh, how sure. voters have been disenfranchised. Yes, here in California, we uh, the the voters uh, voted for Proposition 187. It was uh, it was uh, uh, did we? They were disenfranchised by the state uh, state Supreme Court. Uh, they voted for Proposition 8. It was they were disenfranchised by the Supreme Court, and uh, you know it's so that's kind of the point that i I wanted to bring up it seems like the uh, intellectual class in this country is kind of out of touch to me and they uh they um you know so i don't know do you have any comments on that of course your get bruce probably doesn't know what proposition 187 is or proposition eight
2: sure he does don't you bruce
0: yep i'm a resident of santa cruz county actually here's here's something to think remembering back Remember when there was uh, a few years ago when the election for governor was sort of thrown up in the air, and all kinds of people came forward from Ariana Huffington to, of course, uh, our farm, our last governor uh, Schwarzenegger. But lots of people decided they were going to throw their hats in the ring, and for a moment, for a moment, California had almost like a pluralistic uh, electorate our electoral system, just a glimmer of it. And, of course, it fell back down into just two parties, which is, of course, a huge problem that there's only two po- political parties of power in the country. That's, it's a ludicrous situation. No other country has such a situation. Uh, but that could only be addressed really at the national level.
6: Right. Uh, it seems to me, though, that a lot of times people's uh, – uh, the powers or the people in charge allow their their ideo- ideological views to to disenfranchise the uh, the wants or the the will of the people, and I think that that is a that is a big problem. I mean, if you're if you're concerned about about the will of the people, uh, or are you concerned about your your personal ide- ideological views?
0: Yeah, and of course, or, there's somebody there's someone in between them and you. And it's called a broker. And that broker is a lobbyist who represents powerful money interests. And that is their true constituency. And you may have remembered uh, G.W. Bush, uh, that famous dinner speech uh, he did about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago uh, at a banquet for for wealthy donors uh, to cam- his campaign. And he said, you are my base. And of course. That's true. Court- money is a problem. Money,
6: money definitely is a problem. But uh, aside from money, I see, I see, I see an even deeper problem where, where individuals who are empowering in government believe that they know better than the citizens and they are not willing to listen to the citizens. And when the citizens vote, they believe they have the right to tell the citizens, no, your vote is not correct. Like they did in California several times with the, with the initiative process. That is exactly my point, and I, I think that's that's what I'm trying to say is I think the, the intellectual class in this, this country is not in touch with the population, not the people who, who have the money and the time to sit in in a park in New York City, but the people who are out there working
0: 12-hour days to feed their kids. Those are the people I'm talking about. There's Salinas Jack
2: is, is right, uh, uh, Bruce. There's no question that he's right. There
0: is no question he's right, and in no. fact, You know, Alan Lundell said it on the Dr. Future show. I wouldn't have said it this
2: way, but uh, he said, well, then throw the bombs out. Yeah, now now, who would argue with that? That's what everybody I know thinks. Hey, listen, uh, we want to thank uh, Salinas Jack for calling. It's time for our good friend uh, Jimmy in Scotts Valley to be on the air on everybody's favorite radio station. AM 1080 KSEO, you're on, Jim. Hey,
4: I'm Z. Thanks a lot for having me on the air.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for calling and waiting,
4: Bruce. Thanks for being such a thoughtful person and looking out for the uh, for the people and trying to come up with a great idea that uh, oh, could help us out. Gazing at me. <laughs>
0: you're most welcome.
4: Where I mean, where do I start? <laughs> um, I don't know. It just seems to me that um, if you're looking at the solution of a constitutional convention, you might have the same kind of problems that uh presented themselves with the election of Barack Obama because what happened with Barack Obama is he promised change but change meant something different to every individual who heard him say it. And so when those people voted for Barack Obama, they thought that he was gonna represent the change that they had in their mind, whatever that might be, and the war, uh, you know, whatever health care, whatever it was, he they, he thought they were gonna solve that problem. And so they elected him, and he got in, and he didn't really do any of the things that he talked about doing. And the same thing would happen with a constitutional convention, because if you can entice the people into uh, opening up a constitutional convention, then the people that are in control of that convention are the ones that are really going to dictate what uh, changes are made to the Constitution.
0: But actually, um, what, what I, you are absolutely on target, and so when I drafted the Blueprint, the preamble, you know, there was a famous preamble written for, for our original Constitution, but the kind of preamble to it said, you know what? All the sitting politicians are out of office. They have resigned their offices before the convention starts, and the first vote on the floor of the convention, which is done by direct citizen vote, everyone online, at polling stations connected online, the first of, of maybe a dozen new laws that are voted directly in cuts the umbilical cord between money and the body politic. It makes makes lobbying illegal. So you're now starting with a, a clean slate, and all those lobbyists on K Street, they can go home. They can go have uh, have a barbecue, and uh, hey, they're but, not participants. Um,
4: I think the thing is the the problem is is that. Um, uh, the first caller that called in, I don't remember who, what his name was, but but the thing is, is he brought up a very interesting and important point in this whole thing, and that is, um, I don't like lobbyists uh, in any shape, way, or form. But the problem is, is the con uh, the Constitution allows for redress of grievances, and so if you have, if you make a Constitution, a citizen or a person, and has the same rights as a citizen, then those corporations have the right to send lobbyists. To uh, lobby because they're they're recognized as a person and they have rights to redress their grievances. If there's laws or or uh, restrictions on them doing business, they they have the right to go there and do that.
0: But and you know, like here's, for you could even draft a proposal that the second law that was directly uh, voted upon at the convention would be to roll back. Uh, this whole idea of corporations being being persons to previous uh, accepted norms, which have you know, which were in place, and and because the people are directly voting, they will cut that um, second umbilical cord at so this convention. You're making,
4: you're making it a majority rule, like a mob rule situation, because there's a lot of people out there that want the Constitution to kind of stay the way that it is. So I mean, you'd have to you'd have to abolish the Constitution in order to have the the type of change that you're talking about.
2: I no, think you're not, not, I think you're
0: not at all, not at all. Uh, in fact, the convention, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it would preserve the original Constitution. But most of the the bad do do that's come up is extra constitutional rules and amendments and things that the framers themselves. Yeah,
2: that's what needs to be thrown out, huh?
0: It's the dross around the document and and a lot of that stuff has has been kicked in in the last only about fifteen years. I mean, you're talking about stuff that i've
4: just just from a political standpoint i mean i've heard I've heard people bring up the uh, constitutional convention quite a bit in relation to real hot button issues um that you can you can you know throw these issues out in any conversation and get a bunch of heated phone calls about immigration or abortion or these issues. I think it's really great that you're trying to come up with a solution, but I really think that like the 80/20 rule pretty much uh you know governs what happens and so 80% of the people are going to dictate what goes on. And if you the if you have a direct uh voting like you're talking about a direct democracy, it it really goes against, you know, the democratic republic that we have. And I understand that everybody and con- a lot of the people in Congress are just not, you know, people that you want to have uh there but unfortunately i mean the only way that you could really do the kind of change you're talking about is to start from scratch
2: absolutely
0: and you
4: can hit the nail on the
0: head yeah it's a starting from scratch
2: well yeah, start 20%. from scratch with the, with the same template because everyone agrees that the you know the, the original template is a is a damn good one hey jimmy in scotts valley thanks for calling the saturday special here's our next caller rc and aptos thanks for waiting rc you're on the air
7: Yeah, great topic. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I believe that we do need a constitutional convention, and I would uh, point to uh, our uh, representatives selling out our economy uh, to the Wall Street bankers, our national debt, which how does the richest country in the world rack up a $15 trillion debt, and the wars that we're always in. And I really don't see how our representatives can take us down another path other than debt and war and selling, it out, selling us out to uh, the banking lobbies. But the, the, the problem that I have is that it, it goes beyond lobbying. And, the, for example, the super committee right now, they can't agree on cutting spending. It's not that they, ha- that they disagree on the cuts that they need to make. It's that, they bo- that both sides, both Republicans and Democrats in that super committee, they both agree that they're not going to jump off a cliff together and support some type of you know, massive spending cuts in either social programs or defense programs. They're just not going to do it. Their, their biggest priority is their re-election. And if they do something ridiculous, in their mind, like we need to start cutting spending uh, or uh, pulling back uh, our military to a certain extent, they're not going to be reelected. My my solution. Uh, I don't really believe you have to make lobbyists illegal. My solution. Uh, my the problem that I have with our system is the campaign. It's the the campaign. In my opinion, is what's wrong. And if you eliminate camp, political campaigns, you don't need. There won't be any influence uh, uh, from lobbyists because they don't have campaign money uh, to bring to the system. So you eliminate campaigns altogether, and you have your and you choose your representatives, or you figure out a particular way to maintain our representative democracy without the camp without the element of the campaign. Because as long as there is a campaign to be run run in my opinion, we're going to go down the same path that we're on right now because it isn't corporate lobbyists that are telling, for example, the Iraq war. It wasn't corporate lobbyists that told John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, and John Edwards to take the country to war. It was their campaign advisors who had told them that if they didn't sign on to a popular war, it would impact their ability to run for president, which they all wanted to do. They all were sorry about the that vote when it was uh obvious that the war didn't turn out uh as well as their campaign advisors told them that it would but um, it's in my opinion it it isn't the corporate lobbyists that are the be all and end all it's the political campaigns that are uh, representatives are that they have to give the most uh, influence to because. Uh, campaigns means that you're going to be reelected.
2: Okay, uh thanks very much for your call uh, RC. Sure. Our next one our next caller is going to be uh, Margaret in Santa Cruz. So let's put Margaret on the air. Margaret, you're on uh, KSEO. Hi. Hi.
8: Happy M Trail Saturday to you all. The West Side shoreline was hammered this morning. All cloudy now. Anyway, um this is Margaret, and I just want to say that don't forget that President Abortion has Elena Hagan, Kagan, warming the big white bench right now, and she never once stood before a judge as a lawyer, and she, neither has President Abortion. Now, neither of them have defended a legal case in a courtroom ever, and Kagan is a Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, minion. So to get this country radically renewed, Like your show promo analogy, a radical mastectomy? you you have to begin with the courts, the core of corruption, and why are all these justices in there for life? I mean, that's their preference, not their bosses, which is we the people. And,
2: and instead of okay, well these are all the things card. that would be com- that would come up in a constitutional convention Margaret i mean that's which is great what, what do you Bruce Margaret makes some good Please, points and that's but, what that's why we need a constitutional convention to update everything right
0: absolutely and you know when you look at it you if you have the constitutional convention and you have people looking back through history and you can say okay the supreme court is actually nominated politically and let's do a comparison between other countries that don't have political nomination of judges, the judges basically, you know, promote and, and nominate themselves from within their own ranks based on merit versus a politically nominated Supreme Court. And you might determine at the convention said, guys, this is creating a swinging back and forth that is so damaging, and we've seen the damage that it's done, that we ought to change the way we nominate our justices. Or...
8: Yeah, no, why apart- don't we... Why, why don't we, instead of adding to the Constitution, why aren't we first and foremost just best being served by adhering to the original Constitution? The only reason we're in this trouble is because our original Constitution isn't being respected or adhered to. Even our nation's president can't provide a birth certificate that's actually qualifying him to be in that Oval Office. So know we've got to president who has his secrets and our nation's secrets and Goldman Sachs and the Raza White Bench waters.
2: Well, On the other hand, she makes a good point there too. Anyhow, Margaret, thank you very much uh, for your call to the Saturday special. Downtown Al is the last caller before we do uh, a, a world premiere of the latest case commentary, which, is, which everyone should listen to. Go ahead, Downtown Al. You're on.
9: Hey, uh, great show, as usual. Um, I I just wonder, it's Bruce, right? Yep, that's me. Um, I'm sure you realize the inherent danger in what you're proposing. And I might suggest, actually, a more modest proposal. Um, Most of the regulations and problems that we have to deal with are at a local level. And um, I think it would be more useful maybe to really look at, like, a county or city and do it kind of in an experimental way basically trying to revise as many things locally, um, I, you know, I kind of look towards uh, natural systems and particular like evolution in terms of like you work with what you have and the cutting edge is out there kind of at the, at the outer margins where basically where the rubber meets the road. And for example, I think there's a lot we could do just within our state to see how it works. And what's been so so great or successful, I think, in this country is the fact that we've had all these 50 states at this point that are individual little experiments in democracy and representative democracy. And I wonder if you have any proposals at that point, because there really is an inherent danger in a constitutional convention, because I'm not sure we have a unified American culture anymore anymore. if you look back at the origins of the founding fathers, you know, coming from England and um, the, the, the systems that they were familiar with, um, I'm not sure that we have that. And it isn't always just moneyed lobbyists that can create a lot of problems. For example, we have a lot of race, bait, uh, race baiters in this country, and I'm not sure that they're heavily backed, um, but they seem to wield a huge amount of power,
0: um, now, just uh, jumping in here, because I know we're, our time is short, I want to address some of your excellent points. Yes, the, the 50 states are an ecological proving ground for new and wonderful ways to, to to run our affairs. And, in fact, at a convention, they would all be presented as models. But the second thing, I think it's a more vital point, is the national political system, the moneyed industrial military uh financial system is running off the rails and we may not have that many more years to go before we have a full on crash so in a sense the uh, the patient has already been wheeled into the emergency room and something needs to be done soon otherwise you know we could have a, a dire situation and in that circumstance it'll be very hard to to get a common american convention together or anything in reasonable sense because Will have had a full failure, and so it's kind of late in the day. But the power of innovation out in 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 the hinterlands where we are uh, is going to come, and I believe that Americans are still Americans, and they will come together, and they will they're decent to each other, they're friendly to each other, and the extremists that that are out there won't have much of an ability to have a voice when when ordinary Americans get going.
9: I mean, I hope you're right about that, because, you know, a lot of these religious interests, they're not necessarily driven by money. They're driven by ideologies, okay, and the same with a lot of those race baiters um, that I'm not sure there is heavily, you know, moneyed interest behind them. It might be just a lot of individuals who really believe in what they're talking about, you know, and that includes the anti-abortion people, too, as well as the uh, pro-abortion people. So um, it isn't just uh, well-moneyed lobbyists that can create a lot of havoc in this country. I completely
0: completely agree, but you'd probably also agree that it's probably a fairly small number of people who create most of the havoc, uh, whether they be in ideological sense, money sense. It's actually probably fewer than 500 people that have gotten us into this mess.
2: I uh, want to thank you, Downtown Al, for for okay. your call to the Saturday Special. Always a great caller. Um, that's uh, that's it for the calls for right now. Uh, I should read this. Uh, I should read this short email uh, from uh, Bob Champion. We do not need to change the Constitution. We simply need to elect more people and appoint more judges who are strict constitutionalists. That's the Tea Party's position with which I most fully agree. And that's Bob in Carmel. Okay, thank you, Bob in Carmel. Is there something else here? Let's see. Okay, um, White Paper says, um, Constitutional convention would be a disaster. I agree with Ellie Kramer. Number one, for the guest to continually call the country a democracy discredits everything he says. The word democracy doesn't appear in the U.S. Constitution or in any state constitution. Number two, 80% of the problems... Like war that he mentioned would be cured by our present constitution if we defeated those politicians, ignoring it. number three, his stakeholders in quotes the foundations multinationals, lobbyists, billionaires, plus their thousands of nonprofit fronts would swamp the bedraggled group that might borrow enough money to show up number four American are in no Americans are in no position to throw out what is left to be raped by forces that Uh, already have drafted a number of new constitutions he doesn't mention those showing more naivety number five how about teaching the constitution in the schools once again and end the habit of reflecting and re-electing and re-electing the dopes to office we need to inform ourselves about our Constitution and dump the traitors. A constitutional convention would be a disaster and the end of the America, uh, end of America. And that's from Gary Richard Arnold, uh, a.k.a. White Paper. Okay, back to the phone lines we go now. Uh, let's go to Phil in Santa Cruz, who's on line one. Phil, welcome to the Saturday special with, um, uh, Bruce Damer and MZ. You're on.
10: Hi. Uh, I think that it would be very a very simple fix to the Constitution. The Constitutional Convention, I think, would probably deteriorate, especially the way he's outlined it, into, uh, into a disaster that was predicted about 3,000 years ago by the Greeks. We're slowly getting there. That is, the majority, when they find out they can vote themselves largesse at the expense of the minority, it's all over from there, and, and we're about two-thirds of the way there. But anyway... Um, I think it would be a simple thing, one amendment to the Constitution that states something to the effect that voter fraud, there would be a required ID for each voter, required in every state for federal elections, and voter fraud would be punished as the highest um, felony that the land has up to and including death, because I think voter fraud is the highest form of treason, no matter what side you're on. Right now, it's laughed at. It's been found out, dug out here in this county. And the judge just throws it out and says, "Well, by my calculations, it didn't affect the election doesn 't matter. I think that uh, then the mechanism intended by the founding fathers of the root of power being in the people and their voting would be preserved, and let them campaign all they want to, let them spend all they want to. It would depend on the intelligence of the people and their their common sense and if they fail that test,
2: so be it. It seems a little harsh what you're suggesting." Uh, who would be executed under your plan the the, the perp- well, a perpetrant of the a per, per, a perpetrant is there such a word of the um perpetrator. Of the voter perpetrator of the voter fraud
10: yes i think they would have their full rights to a trial by jury they would have to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt just like a murderer and then they would either be sentenced to a life in prison or a death, depending on, on if they were organizing a voter fraud uh, movement, as it were. If they were behind it, then I think it that would warrant the death penalty. Because what they've done is they've taken the lives of our soldiers who've died in battle to defend the freedoms of this country and totally crapped on their graves. Wow. Not, un- not unlike what I th- the, uh, I know
2: what some people are thinking right now.
10: Well, not unlike some what people the, uh, are thinking
2: that our president is is one of those people.
10: He may be, but he'd have to be proven guilty, in um, a, a fair trial. Uh,
2: to jump in
0: here, um, one of the, the perhaps the biggest voter fraud of all is the disenfranchisement of you know a huge proportion of the voters by the fact that even if you elect people. They are going to answer to very, very few, handful of people who uh, are the money power behind the campaigns and behind changing laws. So, you know, you're being defrauded every time you elect your official. But the uh,
10: that's why uh, I say, if it's a fair election, if it's a free election, and the people make a foolish choice in who they put in there, then they have no one to blame but themselves. That's but
0: just why They're they're, um, they're not making the choice. Other people are making the choice.
10: They put the they put the individual. In. What happened? He's to be corrupted. He's going to be corrupted. But to corrupt the whole process, that to me is the highest crime. Voter fraud in Chicago in the, in the election that elected Kennedy was when I first became aware of it. And right on down the line, whether, you know, you can say Kennedy was a good man, a bad man, it doesn't matter. The voter fraud is, is, the, is the, the knife at the throat of our freedom, at the throat of the Constitution, because the Founding Fathers intended for the people to have the ultimate say. And in and, and a representative democracy, they put the checks and balances in there so that the in the heat of the moment, a rabble of, of angry people wouldn't do the wrong thing, which is, we've seen, you know, in the French Revolution and a lot of history.
2: So, so yeah, you,
10: you yeah, get I'm... a direct democracy and you're in trouble.
0: Well, and, you we... know, there's a, in the blueprint, if you take a look, uh, a total revamping of the system of electoral uh, voting uh like many other countries have with just as you order on Amazon and you do secure things on the internet and even our military uses the internet to do secure things they'll have a whole new voting system run by an independent nonprofit uh group which has an electoral commission to look over them and independent citizen commission and they will make sure our elections are uh, fair and there's the voter fraud is a thing of the past, as, as dozens of countries around the world have done over ten years ago.
10: You know, there's an oxymoron though in your statement when you say when you say an independent commission. There's no such thing. Every commission is, is going to be influenced, it's going to be hand picked. How do you pick the commission? Who's going to decide who the elite are who decide that how our election should have gone? But right
0: now we have no oversight at all. All I ask is look at the example of how Things are done much better in other countries, and we can copy their example.
10: Well, that's all I'm saying is let's have oversight in a constitutional amendment and put it in there for federal elections, not for the states. They can be as corrupt as they want. But if you're electing a congressman, a senator, a president, someone at the federal level, have that constitutional amendment, make sure voter ID is shown, make sure that there is no fraud, and if fraud is detected, prosecute it with the full fury of the law for the crime that it is.
2: Including the death penalty.
10: Including the death penalty if, if, you know, it's warranted. And I'm not talking about people that are too stupid to figure out which hole to punch. You know, it has to be intentional voter fraud. Someone who's voted five times. Someone who is not a citizen but voted and they're not really eligible to vote in that election. That wouldn't be the death penalty. That would be... Five years in prison at hard what labor would and be and the deportation.
2: Death, what would be the death penalty? penalty. What 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 um, what? Uh, Acorn is accused of doing. Would that be the death some penalty? Some of that,
10: I think, would warrant the death penalty. Yes, because that's organizing death fraud. That's that's facilitating and organizing the fraud. The poor dupe that's talked into doing it. No, I think they should uh, they should get a stint in the prison at hard labor, making you know as for your past program, growing their own food, learning how to do some work and 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 I think that this this group, uh... most of the group, not all because they're varied, but I think this group in uh, Occupy Washington or occupy all this stuff they're 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 just asking for free stuff. they're the the kind of rabble that could totally destroy this democracy if if their voices were given the sway in the constitutional convention. They'd say they'd vote themselves you know free educations, free lunches, free vacations, free whatever. Provided by the government. I've just, heard like Europeans, what,
2: just like what all the legislators do now.
10: Exactly. I've heard so many Europeans talk about their government provides this and their government provides that, and I just look at them and sometimes I challenge them, but I just look at them and I think, you idiot! It's that some poor, hardworking sap that's being taxed to death that's providing it. It's not your government.
2: Well, what do you think of the, of the uh, uh, Bruce? What do you think of the notion of? Of Phil in Santa Cruz for president.
0: Well, <laughs> um, don't know, don't know. Um, I, I could yeah. I, I would invite Phil uh, to uh, come to Radical Remake, uh, either in Facebook or on the web. We've got a, a site, and I would invite him, please, to put his ideas in there. And because these are necess- these are needed. We need a critical mass of people to put their ideas in there.
10: I get these uh uh surveys from various political organizations. oh take this survey and uh you know fill out this thing and tell us what you think about fifteen or twenty different things, and then at the end it's no, oh, by the way, give us money and i that that's the same attitude I have toward giving you my ideas because it's like all you're after is just placate somebody, maybe get a contribution. Do you have a contribution checkbox in your in your website by the way
0: absolutely not. This is a uh, volunteer effort.
2: Now aren't you ashamed, Phil in Santa Cruz? Don't you I just feel asked ashamed question. now? I just asked the question. But he's please. but Bruce has just proven to you that he's not what you suspected he might be. Someone just like me who will happily t- accept donations for to KSCO.
10: <laughs> well then I must ask Bruce, where does he get his funding for the website? Hello? I
0: I put my own money into it, Phil.
10: Well good for you. You don't get any anything from uh, moveon.org or any of those other organizations.
0: No, I just, money. Have, I just have to answer 100 emails a day, and it, it takes up way too much time.
2: Bruce is a very uh, competent and well-rewarded, in fact, probably very wealthy man, and I think he's putting his money where his mouth is.
10: Well, good for him. I just think he I needs think. to uh, study, uh, be aware of the dangers of a, of a runaway uh, constitutional convention and the rabble of the majority
0: the whole I, of the constitution i wish the,
2: i was wealthy by the way but i have to report not oh, okay well, I mean, but you do put your money where your mouth is if you're self-funded and i think that's great my hats off to you for that wealthy right. or not and everybody's definition of wealthy and in fact i think you are wealthy you're a, a very wealthy person in terms of of being a good person and being someone and who wants to want. help you know well, the founding fathers wanted very solutions concerned. instead of just bitching you know
10: so. yeah they were very concerned about the tyranny of the majority in a pure democracy you can if if you can convince a majority you know like Abe Lincoln said uh, uh, you can conv- convince most of the people some of the time, and if you had a pure democracy, that's all you would need to do is to convince most of the people at one moment in time, and it would be all over. That's how hist- that's how Hitler took over Germany.
2: Got to move on to other callers here. Let's go to uh, 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 Ben and Salinas. A uh, quick Ben, you're on the air.
10: This
3: is the great Ben responding to Phil. Yes, he made the comment about people too stupid to know what blo- with those uh, those who screwed up voting machines in Florida. I agree with the, with Phil. Yes, the people that stole the election in 2000 should be executed for the damage that the Bush crime family did to America. America is not yet spelled with a K, y'all. And remember, on the Constitutional Convention, on the first day that you will bring up, and it can happen because my, my dentist is also a lawyer. He says on the first day of the convention, they will, not maybe, but they will suspend the entire Bill of Rights and you will never get it back. So swallow that one, tea baggers. Have a nice day.
2: Was that a nice thing to call the Tea Party or tea baggers? That's a terrible, nasty. Everything Ben just said was negated when he said when he called them teabaggers. Don't you agree, Bruce? Yeah, I think that
0: the, and I've had to address this online, so some of the comments in Facebook, I've said, look, if we can't be respectful of others and groups and opinions and wishes uh, that people have, then, you know, if someone can't be respectful, if someone is downright disrespectful... That was the most disrespectful
2: call of the day. No no question.
0: They're not not getting themselves a seat at the table. I mean, that's just normal human decency. Right.
2: Okay, here's Sun in Santa Cruz, a.k.a. Mrs. Future. Yes?
11: Hey, hi. Hi, Mrs. Future. How are you? Nice show, stimulating conversation. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, people have all these fears about what happens when we reexamine our institutions, and, you know, there's all this idea that somehow if we have a constitutional convention or if we try to use real democracy instead of a representative democracy, that that somehow throws away the freedom that we believe in. And um, I'd just like to say that I think that we have tools available now that we did not have available in the past and in the past, the reason that we were able to formulate our ideas as clearly as we did and create the Constitution and the Bill of Rights is because we had a civilized procedure for conducting a a conversation. And I think that the way that the Internet facilitates the voices of so many more individuals than was ever possible in the past and the way that the availability of all of those various opinions can be sifted for the best ideas and the way that we can um, map those ideas for true consensus these these tools have never existed before and if anything they will help us with our democracy so that um, even if it's not you know majority rules 50% uh you know, is the tyranny of the majority of the other 50%, which really, if you look at how the elections are right now, the the stagnation is all about the fact that so many people don't get their vote because such a minority gets theirs. Um, That, you know, true plurality is good for democracy. And coming up with ways to um, include more voices and have more levels of democracy, you know, like if we could assign different votes to, you know, sometimes we need 90% of the people to agree, and sometimes we need, like, you know, 10% of the people to agree.
2: Oh, I don't know about 10%, but anyhow, we want to thank you for your call. We, we have just a minute left. I want to get Rory in, but thank you, son. Appreciate the call to the Saturday special.
11: Yeah, thanks. Okay. Good thanks. job.
2: Okay, thanks. Here's Rory. Go ahead, Rory. You're the last call today, because Richard and Watsonville hung up.
6: Okay. Uh, number one, uh, fill in Santa Cruz for Congress. You, you should consider running. Um, I, I agree with many of the callers that said a constitutional convention is scary because you can throw the whole
3: Constitution out as it stands. And that's the way the founders made it. That's the way they dropped. it. I mean, they put that in there. So you can throw the Bill of Rights out. You get rid of the Second Amendment, First Amendment. So I don't think we need to go that far. We can certainly amend the Constitution. And then the other thing is, We are not a democracy. We are a representative republic.
2: I can't overstate that. Hey, want to say it's the Uh, end of the show? Sorry, Bruce, thanks for being with us. That's it. See you next week, Paul. You are listening to KSCO, Santa Cruz, Salinas, Monterey, San Jose.
8: You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon where people are changing their lives one thought at a time.
1: Before I get to the actual issues that Bruce went on the radio to speak about, uh, I've got to ask you, how do you feel about my very petty assessment of some of the callers as being morons? And uh, trust me, that's uh, my kind way of putting it. For example, uh, one of the guys who actually made me laugh was the one who thought that all of the problems we now face as a nation could be solved simply by punishing voter fraud with the penalty of death. (laughs) I've just got to believe that uh, nobody is that ignorant and that the guy was really some college kid putting us on. Uh, In any event, it was a memorable moment for sure. But I have to admit that as positive as I am about the value and importance of the Occupy movement. I really get terribly discouraged whenever I hear some of these stupid people who have absolutely no idea that they not only have no idea about what is going on, they also have absolutely no idea about the Occupy Movement and that it is actually based on the same underlying principles as they claim to have. And so I deeply admire all of you young occupiers out there in the front lines who are able and willing to patiently stand up and discuss these issues with arch-conservatives like the Tea Party people. Uh, you guys still give me hope, and I sincerely appreciate you doing the heavy lifting for guys like me who no longer have the patience to uh, have a discussion with the abysmally ignorant among us and who seem to be found in such large numbers nowadays. But, uh, hey, uh, let me get away from all of my negative griping and uh, get back to the interview that we just listened to. Now, there were a whole lot of new ideas that Bruce put forth in this interview, but for me, the one thing that I think that is key to all this is that we consciously include technology in our new plans in particular the new technologies that allow one-to-one communication between people uh, such as uh, what is now being called social media. Just look at uh, how the citizens of Iceland have begun to transform their nation with a new constitution that was in part developed over the net by ordinary people. It is certainly within our means to provide devices and connectivity to the net and its wealth of online educational and instructional courses which in turn could possibly help the young and poor to bootstrap themselves into better ways of living. And with a better educated populace, uh, not one that is primarily taught how to pass a standardized test rather than one that actually educates them. With an informed populace, I think it will be much easier to change things, such as uh, forced vaccinations and genetically modified food and widespread use of pesticides, uh, all of which are already having a very detrimental effect on those who don't know any better. Another thing that came to my mind while listening to this interview with you just now was that when the interviewer made the comment that back in 1776 it was different, that it's not the same situation now, But I have to disagree with his logic there, because he said, When the country began, we were breaking away from Great Britain. Uh, And that's true, but let's think about that for a minute. Just when did this country begin? And what was here before it began? Without spending a lot of time on this, uh, my argument is that whenever a new country is formed, it is generally breaking away from some other political entity. So, the way I see it is that even if 236 years from now this nation is still called the United States of America, that doesn't necessarily mean that we aren't in the process of, right now, breaking away from the existing USA and forming a completely new country that is based upon ideas that really weren't very popular back in 1776. For example, uh, how about uh, restarting or rebooting without things like slavery? without prohibiting women and non-property owners from voting, without lobbyists, without corporations being people. The way I see it, a new constitution of necessity implies a completely new country. It's just that instead of we the people organizing ourselves to break away from Great Britain this time, we instead break away from today's version of the USA, which is, if you're being honest with yourself, Well, it's a fascist, oligarchic police state in which uh, our children are being brainwashed into thinking that their worth, their self-esteem, comes only from how much money they earn and how much stuff they can consume. Isn't it about time to uh, break away from a political system like that and take control back from the few ultra-rich families who are calling most of the shots today? And, uh, once again, I want to recommend that you read a copy of Howard Zinn's landmark book, A People's History of the United States. And if you do, I seriously doubt that, like that first caller in this interview, you'll continue to hold our so-called founding fathers in such high regard. Granted, uh, they did a good job of getting the ball rolling. But once you study U.S. history more closely, it should become obvious to you that not only were these guys the richest people in the country, They purposely crafted the Constitution so as to ultimately keep most of the power for themselves and their wealthy friends. For example, that's one of the reasons that we the people don't even get to elect the president. That's done by the uh, somewhat mysterious Electoral College. Those are the people who actually have the power to vote for the president. And uh, can you tell me even one of their names? So let's not anoint the Founding Fathers as some kind of gods or saints because they weren't mainly they were very rich white men who wrested power from a king and they did it by shedding a lot of the common people's blood and if you disagree with me I hope that you will at least read Howard Zinn's book before posting your comments on our salon blog which uh, as you know you can get to via psychedelicsalon.org now uh, since I've been on kind of a negative rant here today I want to end with a couple bits of more positive and fun stuff First of all, I want to mention a story that I read about a man named Molai, who lives in India. And back in 1979, when he was still a teenager, he noticed that a flood had washed a lot of snakes onto a sandbar near his home. But since there was no ground cover, the snakes all died in the heat. He said that seeing the dead and dying snakes caused him to weep so he asked the forest department about planting trees. However, they told him that nothing except bamboo would grow there, and so he began planting, all on his own. Today, that once barren sandbar is a sprawling 1,360 acre forest, home to several thousand of varieties of plants and a significant amount of wildlife, including birds, deer, apes, rhino, elephants, and even tigers. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. Here was a teenage boy with essentially no resources and no help, yet over the past 30 years he has done something that even the professional foresters and government thought was impossible. Today, uh, Molai, who single-handedly planted this forest, lives there uh, on the sandbar in the forest in a hut with his wife and three children, and earns his living selling cow and buffalo milk. To me, this man represents the pinnacle of human achievement. What an astounding accomplishment and what a wonderful gift he has given to life on this planet. It took him over 30 years to accomplish this feat. But look what his hard and unsung work has done. As I look back on the past 30 years of my life, when I was quite often whining about not having enough money or resources to make the world better, I realized that the only thing I actually lacked was imagination and uh, what my mother used to call, get up and go. So, if you're looking for a hero to emulate, I suggest that maybe you should go look in the mirror to find her or him. Because the main hero in your own life is you, at least if you put your mind to it. Now, my final comment is to plug another podcast. It's one that I've been listening to for a long time, uh, mainly in the evening when I'm preparing dinner and uh, want a little company while I'm working. Actually, uh, I've thought about mentioning this podcast for quite a while now, but I didn't think that it would appeal to all of our fellow saloners, uh, at least to our women's saloners. But about a month ago, I was startled to hear the salon mentioned uh, very favorably on it, and shortly after that, the number of our monthly downloads had a big uptick, and I realized that we now have a lot of new friends here in the salon as a result. And so I want to welcome all of our new saloners to this podcast and particularly those who first heard about us on the famous, or maybe I should say infamous, Joe Rogan podcast, uh, which is actually titled The Joe Rogan Experience. As you know, uh, Joe is a popular comedian here in the States, and you'll often hear a few sound bites from him on Lefty's Lounge, which is another of my favorite podcasts that comes to us via Dopevine.co.uk on their podcast network. Although I've uh, actually been following Joe Rogan's comedy for many years, I also realize that he has an edge that men instantly relate to, but which can sometimes be a little off-putting for our ladies. However, uh, in the videos that I've watched of Joe uh, doing stand-up routines, it uh, appears that there are as many women in the audience that are laughing as there are men. However, besides wanting to return the favor of Joe giving the salon a plug, I also figured out a good reason why some of our women salons may want to at least listen to a couple of his programs. You see, uh, right now there's a woman lecturer traveling around Southern California with a seminar that is uh, supposed to teach women the ins and outs of how men think. Of course, uh, cynical old me at first questioned why there were no men speakers involved, and uh, hey, why didn't women just ask men how they think rather than spend all that money for a workshop? But uh, then I realized that, well, a lot of men, myself included, kind of shudder whenever a woman says, let's talk. And uh, (laughs) it's actually uh, next to impossible to get some of us uh, into a discussion about how men think. Well, now Joe's uh, podcast, I think, is up over 200 right now. But if you go back and listen to his podcast number 190, and uh, of course this is very self-serving because that's the one where he mentioned the salon, but it's really a great example of how men think. Now, it may take some sensitive women a bit to uh, get through the first 20 minutes or so when the talk is uh, mainly about sex, but that's quite often the way men, uh, at least men under 60 years old, uh, well, that's the way they often begin a conversation. However, uh, I think that you'll be blown away, uh, particularly if you're a sociologist, at the trend of the conversation from then on, because, among other things, uh, Joe and an old friend of his even speak about us all being one with the universe and all other living beings, not to mention that they then dredge up an old argument they had many years ago, uh, one that caused their friendship to go on the rocks for quite a while. Yet, until this podcast, those old emotional scars had been left untouched. But right there in the air, they worked through their issues and resolved them so satisfactorily that they seem now to be closer friends than ever before. And, uh, of course, if I remember correctly, they ended their two-hour podcast back on the topic of sex. So, uh, ladies, you can uh, save a lot of money if you really want to know how men think simply by tuning in to the Joe Rogan Experience. And us guys, well, we already know how we think, but Joe and his compatriots also make our inner lives so much richer by adding the humor that is one of the three things that I find most important to a healthy life. For me, music is number one, psychedelics are number three, but comedy is number two in my book. And uh, though he may be a bit on the crude side for some people, I admit that at times I like to let my hair down and be as rude and crude as the next guy. But uh, hey, just don't tell my granddaughters about it because they still think I'm just a sweet old man. <laughs> well, that's got to do it for now. And so this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.